I think another aspect of service that a lot of people don't really touch on is reaching out when you need help because you're allowing other people to be of service to you. Because you can still be in service in the confines of four walls. Service is not grandiose gestures. That's what we do. We stay sober together. It's beautiful. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery programs, but you will hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. On today's show, April B. from Ashburn, Virginia. Before we get to the show, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd love to ask you for a rating. Give us a rating. Let us know what you think of the show. It's going to expand our reach and help us improve the show. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm doing great. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. What's on the What's on the agenda today? So today is March 29th, and I'm happy to let you know that we have April B. here with us from Ashburn, Virginia, and she's here to share with us on the Daily Reflection for today, which is Trusted Servants. Fantastic. Well, April, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Good morning, Michael and Lee. Thank, for, thank you for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, let, uh, let the folks know a little bit about yourself, and, uh, and then we'll get right into the, to the Daily Reflection. Sure. My name is April. My sobriety date is March 21st, 2016. It has been a very interesting five years. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. Well, I guess let's get right into it. And would you begin by reading the Daily Reflection for today, March 29th? I will. For March 29th, the Daily Reflections is trusted servants. They are servants. Theirs is the sometimes thankless privilege of doing the group's chores. And that's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 134. In Zorba the Greek, Nikos Kazantzakis describes an encounter between his principal character and an old man busily at work planting a tree. What is it you are doing? Zorba asks. The old man replies, You can see very well what I'm doing, my son. I'm planting a tree. But why plant a tree, Zorba asks, if you won't be able to see it bear fruit? And the old man answers, I, my son, live as though I were never going to die. The response brings a faint smile to Zorba's lips, and, as he walks away, he exclaims with a note of irony, How strange, I live as though I were going to die tomorrow. As a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have found that the third legacy is a fertile soil in which to plant the tree of my sobriety. The fruits I harvest are wonderful. Peace, security, understanding, and 24 hours of eternal fulfillment. And with the soundness of mind to listen to the voice of my conscience when, in silence, it gently speaks to me, saying, you must let go in service. There are others who must plant and harvest. I love that. And um, I love the story where he, he's saying, you know, the guy says, I live as though I'm never going to die. And then he walks off with in, in an in irony, I guess, and exclaims with a note of irony, how strange I live as though I were going to die tomorrow. 
And I'm wondering, do you relate to that at all? And how does that affect the way you live your life? It's talking about service. And what you do today can have ripple effects throughout the day, throughout tomorrow, through indefinitely. You never know what one little act of kindness, picking up the phone, helping someone. It could be in the grocery store, helping someone reach something or getting a cart. You never know what ripple effect that is going to have to that person. Walk a mile in someone else's shoes. They might be having the worst day ever. And that slight act of kindness turned their day around. So that's what the reading says to me. Did it take you long before you grasped these concepts around the third legacy and and getting in service in AA? Um, it, It did. It didn't come to me right away. What I can tell you is, and I have found that when I'm in service, I'm not thinking about myself, that there's a wisdom behind service. And that's it. For this alcoholic, when I'm helping you, I'm not thinking about me. Because thinking about me is not a good place to be. What are the ways that you do serve AA now, April? COVID has made it interesting, <laughs> but I, I chair meetings. I always I lead meetings when asked. I reach out to my network. I sponsor women. I think another aspect of service that a lot of people don't really touch on is reaching out when you need help because you're allowing other people to be of service to you. You never know when you pick up the phone and say, you know what, I'm having a really bad day that you just interrupted that person's bad day and they don't have to think about it anymore because they can talk to you. (laughs) I hear a lot in the rooms now that people are isolated. And for me, if you're isolated, you're not in service because you can still be in service in the confines of four walls. Service is not grandiose gestures. Service can be something as small as, you know, hey, I'm going to share in the meeting how I'm doing. Hey, I'm going to put in the chat box my phone number so that newcomer can reach out to me. Hey, I'm going to chat the newcomer in the in my Zoom meeting. Be creative, but service knows no bounds. That's beautiful. And great suggestions for for folks just getting into getting into recovery and getting into meetings and um, you know, grasping and and being willing to put yourself out there and do these these elements of service. It's not always easy, especially for the for the newcomer. What was going on in your early sobriety that that drove you to grab onto AA and and to get into service? I felt such a sense of belonging in the rooms. If it were up to me, I would have spent twenty four hours a day, seven days a week in an AA meeting during those first you know few months of recovery. It was the only place where in my whole life. I related to people and they related to me and I wanted to give back as much as I could at the time. If that meant standing at the door and greeting somebody with a smile on my face, I would because I was smiling. I was happy to be there anyway. If that meant making coffee, setting up chairs, putting chairs away, um, I, I think the the greatest gift they gave me in early sobriety was they let me be a chip giver. How awesome was that? <laughs> For the folks that are listening, um, tell tell them what that job involves. What is what is a chip giver? 
A chip giver is someone who gets to celebrate people's sobriety. We have various chips in the room that start anywhere from 24 hours. And I think the box I had was went up to 45 years. So you get to celebrate that person's sobriety by handing them their chip and giving them a hug. And it is awesome. <laughs> That's a great way to get in service. And, um, you know, one of the things about the pandemic is you don't get those hugs. How do you celebrate milestones in sobriety with folks in the pandemic? We are on Zoom, but that doesn't mean you cannot celebrate. We, we have virtual chips. You can still send away for a chip uh, and, you know, show it in the, in the meeting. Uh, I've known a lot of people that uh, organize, sorry, words escape me, their own virtual meeting to celebrate their anniversary. So in lieu of going out to breakfast or lunch or dinner like we did before, you can have your own virtual meeting. And you can gather your friends together. Yes, you're all looking at each other on a computer screen, but you're doing something. You're saying to the world, you know what? I, I had X amount of continuous sobriety, and this is a big deal. And if I did it, you can do it too. I think that's the most valuable part of celebrating an anniversary is to show people that I didn't think I could do it and I made it this far. You can too. I love that. You know, I'm wondering in when you first came into recovery, were you afraid to reach out for help? Or was it easy for you to pick up the phone and call people? Talk to us a little bit about what your what was happening for you when you came into AA and then how you reached out for help. When I first came into the rooms, I, I had been 72 days dry. It was a slow process through those 72 days to realize that my life was unmanageable. My abuse of alcohol was just the tip of the iceberg as to what was wrong with me. <laughs> but when I first came into the rooms, although I felt like I belonged and I very much appreciated the openness with everyone shared, I did not feel comfortable sharing. It was the people that kind of came up to me and for lack of better words, yanked it out of me that made me open up more. And it's not to say that I want to yank out of newcomers, but I do want to create an environment and a space where they know whatever comes out of their mouth is not shocking it's not wrong. It's not something that we have not heard before. And the my very favorite is, hey, April, you are not terminally unique. Here's a whole room just like you. And I've learned through sharing that when I share, chances are that there's someone else in that room who's walked through exactly what I have. So I don't have to figure out all on, on my own. I can go up to that person and say, you know what? Thank you, because you gave me a roadmap on how to navigate this next thing in my life. That's what we do. We stay sober together. It's beautiful. I'm left to my own devices. I am not responsible for what's going to happen. And I don't want to think about it. And thankfully, I don't have to. So you mentioned that you stayed sober for 72 days prior to coming into the program. 
you know, what was missing during that time and, and what led you to seek another solution? Um, you name it. Happiness, fulfillment, sanity. Uh, we hear white knuckling. I think that's what that 72 days was. Every single day of going to bed, promising myself that I could drink the next day. <laughs> that's no way to live. The rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous have taught me how to live. I had very honed survival skills. Survival skills can get you through a war, <laughs> but I don't want to live every day like I'm surviving. I want to live life. I want to be fulfilled. I want to give back. Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me all of these things. When I walked into the rooms, I thought they were going to tell me how to not drink. They did, I had no idea that they were going to teach me how to live. What a beautiful difference. Yeah, you know, you just touched on something that's so important because, and I think sometimes we lose sight of it, that we come in here not having a clue what this program offers us. We literally come in thinking we're just going to learn how to somehow not drink. Then we find out that it's this huge program full of like life skills and connection and love and friendship and all that stuff. And what you described um, earlier is this welcoming presence that you try to provide for people so that they feel comfortable coming back one more day and maybe telling you their story or maybe asking you questions. And, you know, just now you mentioned survival versus living. And I think you're talking about living successfully, you know, having a successful life and the benefits of living that. And in, in our literature, it tells us that if we do this program, that there are certain promises that we're going to experience for the kind of life that you're talking about. How do those show up for you today? You know, it's funny you mentioned the promises, Lee, because when I first read them, I didn't quite understand what the writers of the book were trying to convey to me. And today they have a new meaning. Those promises are beautiful. Will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. That that one in itself, it's Everything I've lived through up until now, even when I was drinking, is a valuable tool that I can use to help others. How beautiful. I mean, that that's extraordinary to me. Um, we'll intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. I remember that one. It's like, how how am I gonna how am I gonna automatically know? Well, you know what? I'm not automatically knowing. I'm leaning on my higher power in somehow, some way, it'll be shown to me what to do. The biggest thing that I had to grasp coming in, and I haven't perfected this by any stretch of the imagination. I, I practice free will on a very daily disastrous basis. But what I can tell you is, if I lean in, if I rely on my higher power, if I rely on what the program tells me to do, yes, I can intuitively know how to handle situations. And often, it's just by listening and being open. Can you think of an example when there was a situation where you maybe previously wouldn't have been able to handle it? I have two teenage boys that have um, presented me with various opportunities to practice the principles of this program through their behavior. I no longer try to control my children. I try to provide understanding and compassion. And 
the biggest thing that I think about when I think about my 17 and 20 year old sons are who am I to deprive them of their mistakes? Because I've, I've learned more from my mistakes than I ever had from my successes. I will always support them. I will always be here for them, but I cannot control their outcomes just like I can't control anyone else's. I love what you're sharing, April, about not wanting to deprive your children of the valuable lessons you know that you got to learn. And as a mother myself, and I know Mike has adult children too, you know, one of the fears that I think we have is what if they go down the same path we went down and have to face some of the big challenges we've had to face as a result of drug and alcohol, drug addiction and alcoholism. Do you ever fear that? I don't have to fear that. I've realized that in my youngest son who um, just left recovery of rehab a little while ago. And as we speak is approximately 40 days sober. It's been a challenge because as a mom, as a control freak, and as a really fantastic alcoholic, I want to, again, map out his program, tell him what meetings he should go to, what he should look for in a sponsor, and hey, why should he look for a sponsor at all? I could probably find a fantastic one for him. But I can't do any of those things. I can be there to advise him if he asks me how to find a meeting. I can be there if he asks, you know, hey, what qualities do you look for in a sponsor? But only if he asks. I can't volunteer any of this information. I can sit back and trust God and know that that's his path. I don't know why that's his path. I don't get to know that. It's really, quite frankly, none of my business which is hard because he is my son, but I got to take a step back. Do I want my son questioning me about my program? How I picked my sponsor? Do, gee, mom, do you think you have the right sponsor? Well, if I'm going to expect that respect of my program, I have to extend that respect for his. What other advice would you have for for parents that have children that, um, well, maybe they don't even know yet, um, have problems with alcohol or, or drugs? I think the greatest advice that was given to me in that aspect is you can love your kids and, it not, and at times really not like your kids. There's a difference. You don't have to buy into their behavior if it's destructive, if it's hurting the family unit. Um, what is it? Loving at a distance, I think is what Al-Anon calls it. I will always love my children, but I don't always have to support what they're doing. And I don't ha- always have to enable what they're doing if it's destructive to themselves or others. And, you know, it occurs to me as you're sharing that the best thing that ever happened to me was to be an alcoholic and to get into recovery and to learn this spiritual way of life. And so who are we to deprive our kids of maybe that same exact spiritual awakening that we got, even though it's scary? I would hope. I mean, I I am not happy in any way, shape, or form that my youngest 
turns out to be an addict. However, I am excited that he has the chance to embrace recovery. So I know that you're keeping a healthy distance from your son's recovery, but getting back to the reflection and the value of service, I'm wondering if you can see your son getting into service at all. I would hope. I know that it's it's difficult with Zoom and being a newcomer and navigating exactly where you you fit in the um, COVID world of recovery. But I am hopeful that he will find the benefits of service that not only me, but everyone in recovery has benefited from. I, I don't know one person that has come to me and said, man, I wish I had never volunteered for that position. <laughs> More often than not, it goes something like, you know what? In the beginning, I didn't really want to do that position, but now I'm really glad I did. And I hope that my son reaps those benefits. I'm, I'm looking at the daily reflection in the last sort of couple lines, but it says, the fruits that I harvest are wonderful. Peace, security, understanding, and 24 hours of eternal fulfillment. And with the soundness of mind to listen to the voice of my conscience, when in silence it gently speaks to me saying, you must let go in service. There are others who must plant and harvest. And it just kind of resonated with me as you're talking about your son and trying not to step on him and hoping that he gets in service and you being in service. It's just, it all kind of comes full circle. Like we have to let go in service and let others do their part to help the ones we love too. The whole idea is let go, let God. If I am inserting my will, if I'm trying to what run the show, be the director, as the big book says, nothing is going to go the way it's supposed to. And no one is going to be happy, least of all me. And I shouldn't say least of all me, I'll say least of all the people around me. <laughs> it's, it's a surefire way of making everyone really miserable. You got to kind of plug into the flow of the universe, as I like to say, because you can try to flow with the current or swim against it. Which way are you going to be more successful? So is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap? I just really want to thank you for this opportunity. And it's funny that we're talking about service because you, Lee and Michael, provided me with a wonderful way to have service. And I am very appreciative of that. And I'm appreciative for the service that you guys are doing, publishing the Daily Reflections every day. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, April. Thanks to April for stopping by. And thanks to you, the listeners. Appreciate your support. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read about recovery on our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.